Before I read tonight's Bible passage, I'd just love to tell you about a friend of mine uh, who I used to work with called Nick. And uh, Nick was my boss. I worked for a moving light company. You know, the, you know when you see Top of Pops or when you go out on the Razzle and uh, you know, all the moving lights. We used to sell those. Um, I was just one of the sales lads, uh, very junior. And Nick was my boss. And um, this, was, you know, this was back in the day before email. You remember those days? You used to get these little bits of paper. You used to arrive from a magic machine called a fax. It was like email, but just a lot slower. And um, anyway, uh, there was a girl called Sarah who used to work on reception downstairs and, and our office was along the corridor, up the stairs and along the corridor. And then there we were. And that was, the, that was our little sales office. And um, uh, so uh, the one fax machine in the building was next to Sarah's desk uh, at reception to the building. So whenever an order came in, it arrived with Sarah and whenever we wanted to send out a fax, we had to uh, send it and, and go all the way down to see Sarah and off she'd send it for us. Anyway, this amazing grey box arrived in our office. Multi-layered, drawers for paper, you know, like a photocopier, except it sent faxes. It was amazing. And it was networked to all of our PCs, so we didn't even really need to print anything. And um, we had a little training kind of morning on it, and it was fantastic. And then kind of about a week in, I, I look up and I see Nick, and I'm like, what's he doing? I was like, I watched his workflow for a bit. And um, he'd get a fax in, and it would arrive on his computer. And he'd then print it off the machine, not reading it on the screen. I was like, it's a bit odd. And then I noticed something even stranger. What he'd do is he'd, he'd prepare a fax on his computer. He would send it from his computer to the newfangled fax machine. Off it would come, and then he'd go make himself a leisurely cup of coffee, amble along the corridor, down the stairs and along the corridor, and give said fax to Sarah on reception. About five, ten minutes later, along would come Sarah, along the corridor, up the stairs, back along the corridor to our office, to the same machine that the piece of paper had just come from. She'd lay it down flat, key in the number that Nick had advised her of, where it needed to go, and off the fax would go. It was amazing. Uh, my only, re- my, it's not a regret, confession I suppose, is that I enjoyed this for at least a week <laughs> before I told him about the wonders of what this machine could do. Let me read to you. Uh, if I've got the page number right, it's on about uh, 1053 and it's Acts chapter 19 and it is uh, verses 1 to 7, Paul in Ephesus. Acts chapter 19. While Apollos Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. No. 
We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. (laughs) I love that line. Uh, So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised into the name of Jesus. Then Paul placed his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. That would definitely have surprised them. Uh, There were about 12 men in all. Lord, as we, as we look at this passage together, come and speak to us. Teach us more of who you are. Amen. They've got it, but they've only got half the story. A little bit like Nick with this newfangled fax machine. They've got this amazing thing right there with them, but they just haven't quite got it figured out. They haven't quite got the whole story. How far have they got? Well, they're disciples. They're following, and it seems that they are following Jesus, but they have got no idea who the Holy Spirit is. Something has got lost in translation. Something's got lost in translation. Something's gone very, very wrong. I remember one Alpha course uh, which I was helping to run in a church and this guy uh, called Adam had been around the church for uh, a little while, uh, had absolutely not come to faith but kind of kept on coming back, you know. And um, Adam, uh, Adam did weights and sold solar panels and had made a lot of money and drove a really fancy car. He was a proper lad as self-declared on his Facebook feed. Uh, And he was kind of interested, but fighting us on everything. And he'd come to a bit of it, and then stopped coming. And then, we had the Alpha Holy Spirit Day. And he comes wandering in, and he's like, come on then. And he sits there, and we're doing it in the kind of little chancel area of, uh, of this church, and he sits there all the way through the whole thing kind of no <laughs> not doing it no 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 and we get to the end and we get to that bit it's like right so uh, we've talked about it all day uh, we're now going to do it no pray for this guy <laughs> just the Holy Spirit the hands on him fills him overwhelms him and to see, you know, a muscly bloke of the world shaking in the power of the Spirit when he's spent months and the whole of that day going, no, 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 no. <laughs> it was beautiful. Holy Spirit's alive. He's moving. And he's not stopped moving. These guys had only heard about John's baptism they'd heard about Jesus we'll get to that in a minute but they hadn't heard about the Holy Spirit how on earth did it happen? well if we backtrack a little bit over the page uh, to um, chapter 19 uh, verse 18 sorry it's over the page in my Bible it might not be over the page in your Bible Um, I've got this thing that's falling apart but it is the same same Bible, it's alright it's just the page numbers are different um 
chapter 18, verse 18, there's this story of uh, Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos and their kind of uh, travels and it details Apollos. It details what was being taught and how, how much of a learned man he was. He got knowledge of the Scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. He spoke with great fervour. He taught, this is really interesting, he taught about Jesus accurately. But, he only knew the baptism of John. So he's, he's in the right direction, he's got his head round Jesus, He's teaching, he's enthusiastic, he's playing his part, but he's missed a significant part of the kind of training class. He went, you know, he went to class 101, 102, 103, but he got to 104 and he, he was away or something, he was sick. I don't know what happened. He missed something absolutely key. Here's the thing. He missed it, and so that's what he passed on to other people. He just taught as much as he knew and he taught it with great passion but he'd missed this key thing. You know, there are two schools of thought. One school of thought is that the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost onto that group of first believers. Onto the fathers of the church. And actually, for most folks who would kind of hold this, they would kind of have a strong poured out on the fathers of the church thing and would ignore the amazing women in the New Testament. Uh, anyway, that's a whole other thing. We'll do that another day. Um, but that quite early on in Christian history, everything kind of stops. You know, the Holy Spirit is definitely still in people, but he's not really doing stuff anymore. You know, the healings and stuff were for back then. they're not for now being filled in dramatic ways with the Holy Spirit and continuing to be filled was for then but not for now and there's another school of thought and it's the right one because the other one's just wrong Um, sorry that was a bit abrupt Um, which is that the Holy Spirit continues to be poured out And he continues to fill people and he continues to do amazing things and he continues to speak to us and to guide us. And he always guides us to Jesus. And he speaks what he hears from the Father. So so how much much had Apollos got wrong? Well, I kind of, I dived back a bit to the beginning of Matthew, um, and you might want to follow me there, but I've not got page numbers. If, you, if you're going to follow me on this, I'm going to chuck a load of Bible verses at you, and um, uh, you can listen to the MP3 afterwards, or follow them now if you can. Um, Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist prepares the way, and he comes with this message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's Matthew 3, verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then, then there's Jesus. 
And Jesus' message, when he starts preaching in Matthew 4 verse 17, is this. See if you recognise it. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's the same message. They are preaching the same message, but with a radically different twist. And the different twist is this. John the Baptist pointed to someone else that was coming after. And he identified that person as Jesus. Jesus points to himself and says there's one coming after called the Holy Spirit. But Jesus directs all his teaching to himself. It all points to him. He's the way to the Father, the bread of life, the resurrection, the light of the world. It's all towards him. You know, if you want to, as a total aside, if you want to have a great conversation with someone about world religions and the difference between world religions and Jesus, it's that all of the other world religions, they point away from themselves. They point to something else. Jesus is the one who points to himself. And he says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. I am the way, the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to get to the Father? I'm the way, says Jesus. Not, not Mark. Just make sure we're not confused on that. Because I won't be any help to you. <laughs> Jesus, John the Baptist points to another, to Jesus. And Jesus points to himself and promises that the Holy Spirit will come. So let's, let's, just, let's just dig into this. Because if, you know, if we get nothing else, let's put down a marker in the sand for all saints that says that we embrace that there's more of the Holy Spirit than we've currently experienced. Yeah? You know, together, for me, that there's more. You know, I, 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 know I've, I know I've been to theological college and I've got a degree and, you know, they said that I was a rector or something. That doesn't mean I've got it all. I'm just a traveller trying to, trying to say, yes, Lord, more of you, more of your spirit. And I hope it's the same for you too. Folks, I, I want to press into this because I, I want you to get it. And I want you to get it and be utterly sure. Acts chapter 2. Whiz with me. I won't give you the page numbers. I should have looked up all the page numbers. I'm sorry. Bad vicar. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Day of Pentecost. um, And what happens is uh, they're all gathered together in one place. There's the rushing of uh, wind, a bit like uh, Hurricane Brian, but stronger. Um, And the Holy Spirit comes. Verse 4. Acts chapter 2, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone. Including, it's really important you notice this, including Peter. 
How do we know that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit? Because suddenly it's gone crazy. Everyone who's around them kind of has heard this noise. They're all gathered for Pentecost. They think there's chaos is going on. They, they kind of hear everyone talking in their own language and it's all gone slightly mad. And someone has to get up and explain what on earth's going on. That's the great thing about when the Holy Spirit comes. When the Holy Spirit comes, suddenly you're not having to persuade people about the gospel, you're having to explain it because they're going, What happened? <laughs> it's much easier. It's much easier when we join in with what he's doing rather than trying to kind of push our own thing. So let's let's just get our heads around. They're all filled, including Peter, who then gets up and addresses the crowd, and he says, continuing in Acts chapter two, uh Peter replied, repent and be baptised every one of you. This is Acts 2.38. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they've been filled. Peter stands up and says, repent and be baptised. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Fantastic. Done deal. The Holy Spirit's been poured out. They're all full. End of. Great. I'm glad we got that settled. Except that we get to Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. The believer's prayer. I mean, it's all, go- it's all gone a bit, you know, slightly pear-shaped. I mean, not in God's perspective, but in human perspective because they're getting into a bit of trouble and they're getting called before the Sanhedrin and all that stuff. They gather to pray at the end of the prayer meeting hang on, check verse 23, who's there? on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders said so Peter is there Peter is someone who's already been filled with the Holy Spirit verse 31 after they prayed it's good that happens after they prayed, isn't it? Maybe we should do that more. The place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Just... Tell your mind a moment just to go on override because the maths of this doesn't work. Okay? If you're seeing this as a kind of as a physics lesson in how full can I be of the Holy Spirit, this just busts the plan. Because they're already full, they've been filled. It's not been that long. Peter's been off doing stuff. I mean, he's on it. He's, he's pretty smart with the things he's saying. It's good. He's on it with the Holy Spirit. And then they pray and they get more filled. How can you possibly be more filled? I don't get it. Hang on. It gets worse. Um, in our old house in, in uh, Bristol, a long time ago, we had this boiler Oh, it's a beautiful boiler. Um, and um, the, the, the house was a wonderful student house. 
And uh, uh, the, the landlord, when we left, was really, really grateful because uh, we had decorated the whole place from top to bottom. Not really because we wanted to bless the landlord, but because it was an utter disaster. Um, uh, and it was just... Anyway. So there was this boiler, and the boiler was... A, I'm sorry if this is your house, by the way, because it was owned by a lovely Christian couple that had been uh, at Trinity, Bristol, a long time before us. Um, I need to repent. Uh, the boiler, thank you. Yeah, boiler. There's the bath, okay, and there's a shower in the corner, and the boiler, I'm not sure you'd be able to install it like this anymore, was above the bath taps. Is that, like, legal? Is there any boiler people in the house? Okay. Is it, there's, it doesn't, I mean, it felt bad. But the problem was, there, were, there was a number of problems with the boiler. One was there was an ant's nest in the wall made it really exciting in the summer when you're trying to have a bath and, uh, and, and, it's, you know, and there's old flying ants things. Bad plan. But the thing with the boiler was that it had two settings. Off and on. And in between, there was an explosion. Every time. So you'd switch the, you'd switch the bath tap on waiting to run your bath it would run cold water keep coming cold water until the boiler decided it's time to produce hot water you know, just a little while later but something you didn't know how long the pour was going to be and so, cold water's colder BANG! <laughs> boiler's kind of shaking itself off the wall hot water, fantastic two settings pilot light in the boiler it's on all the time and <laughs> fired up in between explosion which is not good this is like us as Christians if you're following Jesus without a doubt if you know about Jesus and you've made a choice to follow him the pilot light is on in terms of the Holy Spirit, you have been sealed with a deposit that is a guarantee of your inheritance. Done. The pilot light's on. You have the Holy Spirit. But however much you've experienced of him, there's more. There's an explosion that needs to happen in your life and my life so that we are on fire for him. And when we're on fire for him, he wants to come and install the new boiler that works properly and is even bigger and can heat more stuff and do more stuff. And when he's got that one fixed, I mean, have you seen the size? I don't even, there's a boiler somewhere. I think it's, it's big. You know, you can hear it raw at the 8 o'clock communion when there's less people in there. Quite often, quite often, the beginning of your call, the beginning of you choosing to follow Jesus, of being discovered by him, of being filled with his spirit, has this deep effect on what you do later on. For some, it can, it can become the marker, if you like, the defining thing about who you are. The beginnings can become the calling. 
for Meg and for I, when, when I came back to faith and Meg came to faith for the first time, we were living together. And we went to this church in London and, and met, met the Lord in the worship. And I knew what was going on. Because I, I, you know, I had all the knowledge. I just was trying to run away. Meg, she had nothing. <laughs> I spent three weeks trying to explain the gospel to her afterwards. You know, she had already made a choice to follow Jesus, but she didn't have any theology. And they put us in this home group. And this, this home group loved us where we were. They were absolutely uncompromising about how we were living. You know, it was clear. You know, we were living together, something needed to change. But they were overwhelmingly gracious and loving. Completely clear and gracious and loving. You know, they even used to have the home group round in our little flat sometimes. And all these lovely Christians sitting on our double bed doing a Bible study. That's grace, isn't it? And they loved us and they loved us and they loved us and seven months later we got married. Grace upon grace upon grace. If you need to come and talk to me about getting married, come and talk to me after the service. Um, If the finance is a problem, we'll do it as cheap as we can. And we'll do a bring and share lunch. God can sort it out for you and we'll love you in the meantime. Keep on loving you. The things that God does at the beginning can often shape how you do things later on. And it was true for these folks too. That's why I'm sharing that story. You see, what happened to the Ephesians was that they'd encountered Jesus, but only with the baptism of John. And then they discovered baptism in the name of Jesus for forgiveness of sins and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, this is amazing! Do you know how awesome this is? And so, Paul writes to them a little bit later on. I wonder what kind of things he might write to the Ephesian church that had started out in that way. He writes to them and he says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 when you, were belie- when you believed you were marked in him. No, in fact, hang on. Let's go back a verse. And when you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of salvation part one. Part two. When you believed you were marked in him a seal, promised Holy Spirit. It was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. To his praise and glory. There's this little echo of what happened in Acts chapter 19. And and then the prayer. We could pull out another couple of verses, but the prayer. Ephesians 3, verse 14 and onwards. I pray 
that out of his glorious riches he would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and hot... Hang on, Paul. Hang on. You're writing to a bunch of Christians. You've already acknowledged that they're Christians, they've believed, and they've received the Holy Spirit. How come there's any more for them? Yet he's praying for more. That they would grasp... What do you mean grasp it? Don't you know, Paul, I am a Christian. I have been following Jesus. I'm 44 years old. I've been following Jesus for 40 years. I must know what I'm talking about. Pray that you would grasp it. How deep and wide and high and long is the love of Christ. And to know this love. Paul, Paul, we do know. No, no, I'm praying for you that you would know because you don't know how much you don't know. You don't know how amazing he is. How much he's got for you. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Before we get to the next verse, let me just read you one other verse. Hang on. John. Uh... John, 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 5.39. John 5.39. You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you possess eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You know, knowledge, knowledge is one thing. But actually being filled with his presence, walking in his steps, choosing to follow him, is quite another. And it's a one-time choice, yes, but it's also a daily choice also a daily choice for every single one of us for, for me and for you back to Ephesians to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God Just allow your brain to disconnect. This is, by the way, me saying that is not that I don't want you to be thinking Christians. I want you to be thinking Christians. I want you to wrestle with Scripture and engage. But this bit just blows your mind. 
that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness. He's reminding this church that began in this particular way with the teaching of Apollos who only gave them half the story. And then they discovered the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he's reminding them of this. That no matter how much they've discovered, no matter how much they've experienced of the living God, of the transforming work of His Holy Spirit, that there's more that God's got for you. That they may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. This is the bit that messes with your head. The fullness of God. How full is God? I mean, he, he, he has made and sustains the entire universe. And if you're, um, uh, you know, if you kind of do the whole evolution thing or physics thing, I'd love to have you a com- conversation with you about the fact that God does actually sustain the universe and it doesn't really work with that, but that's a whole other thing. Um, I'm getting off track. The fullness of God who sustains the universe who gives life, who's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. And Paul is saying that you would be filled to his measure, that you. Is it any wonder that when we pray for someone to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that sometimes their bodies go a little bit weird. As the whole of heaven and earth comes crashing in on them. And their body kind of goes, oh, I can't cope anymore. any more notes you'll be pleased to hear but he has you know the Holy Spirit is so good And he wants, to, he wants to speak to you and he wants to lead you. I once put up a, a poster for, for the preaching things outside a church and the, and the preaching theme was Googling God. Yeah? And the idea behind the talk was that, you know, it was that, that the Holy Spirit has kind of got this direct line to the Father about everything. So if you want to, you know, if you want to Google God, hang out with the Holy Spirit. Oh, except one thing, you know, that's the that's the date of His return. But apart from that, everything else is hot, is hot wired. That's just the bit that the Father hangs on. I mean, so you know, if anyone ever tells you what the date is, just turn to go and read the Bible. Um, I put this poster outside. This guy walks past it. And he too is, is living with his partner. He's a Baptist minister 
whose marriage broke down and he was trying to run away from God. And he's living with this person that he's met who is absolutely not a Christian. They see the poster and she says, you need to go there. So the Holy Spirit can, can even work with people that haven't yet come to faith. Isn't that great? He walks in through the door. Christmas. I don't know the guy. I've never, sp- I've never spoken to him before. And I'm chatting to him, you know, as you do, the vicar thing on the door, shaking everyone's hands. It's a far, too much, far too much information for any vicar to ever remember on the door, by the way. That's why you need to keep on reminding me of your names. Okay, because when I've actually had a coffee with you, I'll remember your names. Okay? But the door is too quick. And I'm chatting away to him. And I just get this little phrase in my head. God's not done with him. He hasn't told me about the whole Baptist minister thing. He didn't tell me about any of that stuff. So I said, um, he won't mind me telling you his name. I I might have already done it. (laughs) So whatever. I I said, Joe, you know God's not done with you yet? At that point, he just burst into tears. And he said, oh, he said, what? He said, he said I can't tell you the whole story now, but he said, but I was going to give you all my theological books. Because I thought they might be more use to you than they would be to me. He, he didn't know I was dyslexic at that point. Um, they got married. She got baptised, came to faith. He then, he then went, maybe I should be a Church of England vicar. So he's now doing a curacy. Ain't God good? He's still speaking. He's still moving. He's still taking people who might feel like they've been kind of thrown out on the rubbish pile of life and ministry, even if you've messed up. And he's inviting them back in and saying, come on. What should we do? What should we do? Folks, can we, can we be a church that keeps on praying for the Holy Spirit to come? That is expectant. That keeps on praying for healing, however many healings we see. That keeps on sending people out into their workplaces, in, in the law courts, in hospitals, across the world that does the crazy spiritual stuff and the crazy practical stuff? Can we be that kind of church? Because the Holy Spirit's not done.